It's the Finding Joy podcast. I'm Jerry, along with Rob and Benji, and again, a very special guest on this episode of the Finding Joy podcast. His name is Steve Geyer, and he is a comedian, does a lot of stuff. He's a he's a writer, and he's also been on tour with um, a couple of different tours, and we're going to get into all of that, and we may even need to uh, to stretch this out into a, another episode, because oh we had gosh. a... Really great conversation, but a long conversation with yeah, Steve. Yeah, we, we had a lot of great material with Steve, and we can't wait to share that with you. You know, Jerry and I have, have known Steve for quite a while, and it was good to, to reconnect yeah. with Steve. But, yeah. Jerry, you've actually known I've Steve. I've known him since the 80s. <laughs> remember the 80s it's right. been a long time back when uh, yeah when he was first starting out as a christian comedian right and that's how we opened up our conversation with steve and it's a good thing that we are doing this in you know the 2020s because uh, we were able to utilize zoom to yeah. be able to talk yes. to him from a distance so that's why the audio is going to sound like it does we appreciate you being with us. I met you back in. It had to be, you know what? It was maybe in the 80s. Yeah. In Louisville, Kentucky. I think. Were you on tour with DeGarmo and Key for a while? Yes, sir. I sure was. They came I there. Uh, yeah. They, they came to Louisville uh, during the uh, Kentucky Derby Week, which is huge. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you, you were there. I think that was the time that you were there and I got to meet you. This, this was back when, sure. you know, you had hair. <laughs> down, down to your, the middle of your back almost. Wait, it looks like he's got hair now. He's got hair now. <laughs> yeah, he does. You got to see early pictures of him. But this, uh, I mean, this was hair. way, way early on. Yeah, I when you oh were my. just getting going. Yeah, it was. Uh, well, it was funny because I had, you know, I always had, you know, when I was doing stand up. I always wore my hair a little bit longer. But then when I got signed to a record label, they were like, <laughs> "Hey, we want to do a rock and roll comedian thing." And I was like, "Really?" And so they, you know, they kind of restyled me a little bit, you know, did the hair and the mullet and everything. And, and they were like, Hey, you know, um, how about, how about getting an earring? And I was like, no, <laughs> they were, cause they were like, I guess the material on its own wasn't enough. We had to have an image, you know? And then one of the A&R people were like, Hey, what if, um, what if you like your thing was you came in on stage on a skateboard because skateboarding is in right now. And I was like, <laughs> Okay, so this is what the record companies are all about. So anyway, uh, I signed with a different label, and uh, they didn't ask me for to get an earring or anything, and uh, no skateboard, no skateboards allowed. So, yeah, that would have been, gosh, Jerry, that would have been eighty. I think I left there in eighty-eight, so it was probably yes. I was there between eighty-three and eighty-eight, so somewhere right, in that yeah. ballpark. So it was probably eighty-five, eighty-six. Yeah, 85, 86. What was funny was I'm one of a few people that can say this: that DC Talk used to open for me. <laughs> oh, look out! How about you? Yeah, I remember they were just out of liberty. Yeah, they were. They opened for me. Ta-da! Thank you. Good night. So, yeah, that was it. Leave them. Do you have any interaction with them back in those days? Oh yeah, Toby and I still stay. I, Toby and I still stay connected. In, in fact, it was interesting. I've had two moments backstage with people that. I'm big fans of. In the industry, you kind of, even though I'm not a musician, there's this kind of this collective in the industry where it's like, you guys too, we're all in it together. Radio and any kind of music, entertainment, whatever, we're all kind of like, we all speak the same language. When we talk, when Robin, you and I talk, it's like, mm -hmm. I don't have to ask you, what do, what do you mean? You know, and vice right. versa, right? 
And so I had two, just two moments, and, and I had a, a lot of great moments with a lot of artists. I've opened for just about everybody, but I had two very important artists. I had the same conversation with them. One was in New York at Darien Lake at Kingdom Bound, and the other one was at Atlanta Fest when it was at Six Flags. One of them was Mac Powell, and the other was DC was, was Toby McKeon. And Toby's was when we were in New York, and Mac uh, was in uh, Atlanta. And they both asked me the same question. And this, you'll find this fascinating. This was right before Jesus Freak had come out. And Toby was back there and he's doing his thing. And he goes, man, is this it for us? Is this, is this, is this, is this kind of the pinnacle for us? And I looked at him and I said, are you nuts? I said, Toby, I said, you have this amazing ability to turn a crowd of people that are like, popping volleyballs and not paying attention to the stage. I've watched artist after artist because I, I, I would emcee these shows. I said, I've watched artist after artist capture like a, this part of the crowd or that part of the crowd, but never everybody at the same time. And I said, Toby, when you guys hit the stage, the beach balls stop being pushed around. Even the vendors that are hawking stuff stop and watch. I said, buddy, you are not over by a long shot. You know, and, I, and so we talked. And so, and again, I, I've known Toby since he was in college. So then fast forward a year later, I'm sitting in the back of, in Atlanta Fest with Mac Powell. And we're just talking, you know, chatting, catching up on things and, you know, comparing kids and everything. He goes, man, he goes, is this it? Is this, is this, is this kind of it? And I just busted up laughing. I said, you've been talking to Toby, haven't you? He said, what? I said, I said, I said you haven't even touched what you guys are going to become. And so it was funny because um, I've had the opportunity to see artists like, I remember uh, I, I, I did a showcase where I introduced uh, the Newsboys for their first time playing in Nashville. And I introduced them. And this was back when John James was in the band and Peter Furler was still there. And it was the original crew. Right. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was funny then sitting there watching and there were all these people were all kind of lined up watching them and everybody industry, you know, sometimes in the industry, you kind of go, you get a little defensive or competitive, like, why didn't I think of that? Or oh, I wish I was that good, you know, but there was this line of people. It's kind of the who's who in the music industry in Nashville. And everybody was just gobsmacked and everybody just looked and said, these guys are going to be huge. And you know, there you go. Yeah. We were right. <laughs> I've been doing, I've been doing this for so long, you know, and, uh, I, I feel like I lived the, the secret life of Walter Mitty, man. I have, I have such a charmed life. I'm so grateful. Now, Steve, how did you go from, you know, doing stand up and then you went to becoming on staff at a church in, in, in Fayetteville? You know, how did that happen? I lost a bet. Uh, <laughs> oh, well, it actually started in Nashville first. I, I was touring. The last major tour I did was the For Him Point of Grace tour. I was the opening act, and then I would do the middle, and I would do the, the uh, merch pitch. And if we had an NGO, I would do the, the appeal for them. We were going to uh, Belmont Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and we'd been going there since I, I started going there before Kathy and I got married. And then we had a couple of kids. I was just kind of feeling this nagging thing of, man, I, I really am missing things because I'm on the road so much. In our youth ministry was was struggling. We had been like, in, in a lot of churches do this. They, they went through three past three youth pastors in three years, right? Mm -hmm. And so I came home one day and I volunteered and everything and would teach and and um, you know volunteer every now and then. And 
I came home one day and I told my wife, I said, I know this is crazy, but I'm just praying about if I'm supposed to be the new senior high youth pastor and I'm not going to tell anybody, I'm not going to fill out a resume or anything like that. I'm just going to put it before the Lord and say, God, if you want me to do this, I'll do it. But you've got to, you've got to call me. And two days later, the senior pastor of Belmont church and the church was, you know, we, attendance was about 3,500 people or so called me out of the blue and said, you're going to think I'm crazy, but I think you're supposed to be the new senior high youth pastor at Belmont church. And I just panicked because I was like, Oh God, I wasn't serious. I really, I don't want to do, Oh, it was awful. You know, but I knew it, but I actually did. I knew. So I told Kathy and she was like, Oh my gosh, you know, so we met and then uh, we heard about the pay cut. And, um, <laughs> you got church life. <laughs> so I was in church. I was there and then I uh, came down to Fayetteville. So I was on staff at a church in Fayetteville for 10 years. And then after the kids were grown, our daughter was already finishing up college and our son, or she was already finished with college. Our son was getting ready to do his senior year of college. And she said, I think you need to go back on the road. And I was like, you know, I think you're right. My first hint should have been that for Christmas that year, she gave me a gym membership and some cologne. And I thought, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> and then it was like, you need to get out. But no, she, she saw that, you know, I had been doing this show called Couples Night Out, like every now and then and doing this tour. And she said, you need to do that full time. So in 2013, I went back on the road full time and here I am still. My first stand up gig was in 1976. Wow. Here I am. Yeah, man. That's where that phrase uh, from right there. So, now, I saw something either on your website or in one of the videos that you had about how you actually first got pegged as a Christian comedian. In the video, you don't divulge the name of the person you were opening for. Right. Who was that? Can you tell us? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was Sinbad. Oh, oh really? Wow. Yeah. One of the nicest... And he's fairly clean. Really clean. Great guy. Great to work with. Very supportive. Very funny. Just a nice guy. And what was fun about working with him was I, I would open for him. Like, he, he liked me opening for him because I was clean and I appreciated his comedy a lot. <laughs> he would do these things. And I'm not, I'm not making this up at all. This is a, no exaggeration. His first five to ten minutes every night was what we did that day. <laughs> And it would be hilarious. And I'm sitting there going, how does he do it? Because I was there and I found no humor in it. But when he's doing it live, I'm falling out of my seat and I'm going, oh my gosh. And he was just, he was magical. I mean, he could just turn a crowd of people around faster than anybody. And I remember one time I had a, I had a joke that he really liked. And he said, uh, man, sell me this joke. And I said, no, 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 I want to keep it. And he goes, sell it. And I said, no, because I'll tell you what, he goes, if I do it better than you, will you sell it to me? And I said, what do you mean? He goes, you tell the joke. Yeah, Rob, this is a true story. He says, you tell, you tell the joke during your set, do it near the end, and I'll, and I'll do it near the front of mine, and whoever gets the bigger laugh. You know, if I get a bigger laugh, sell it to me. I said, okay. So I do the line, and, and I was like, you know, really trying to make sure I did it right. Got the normal laugh that I got and everything, blah, blah, blah. You know, finished my set, and then later on, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sinbad. Sinbad comes out. He does his, just talking about his day for a few minutes, and all of a sudden, he does the exact same line that I did maybe 15 minutes earlier, and the place erupts. <laughs> Laughter, applause, and I'm looking in the, I'm looking for the back room. He knew where I was standing. He could see me, and I just had this, 
like looking. He's winking. He went like that, you know. So I said, "Bro, I can't sell that to you. It's yours. It is all yours. You take it." So it was just funny, but it was and it, and it really fit him. He was great. So there was, and I've worked with, I've, um, I've opened for like Ray Romano and Billy Crystal and those guys. They're all really good guys. Very nice guys. That's cool. Yeah. Is that something comedians do? Sell jokes to each other? You can, you can, yeah, you can write, um, like there's a lot of comics that are better writers than they are performers and vice versa. There are some guys that are just amazing on stage, but their writing is a little like, eh, you know, and for a long time, I have a good friend of mine, a guy named Happy Cole. Uh, he's a black comic out of Tampa. I couldn't perform ethnic material, but I could write it because I, I grew up in the projects, went to a almost like not predominantly black high school, but it was probably 50-50. And so I was immersed in African-American culture. It was, it was nothing to me. It was like, it was just, that's how, you know, that's how I grew up. So I could write the material, but I couldn't do it because coming from a white guy mm -hmm. would be like... And even back in the 80s, it was like, that was a no-no. You know, you don't mm -hmm. do that even before political correctness became a, uh, a huge thing. And so I would write for Happy. And um, it was great because I used to love watching him do these jokes. And I'm just sitting there going, <laughs> yeah, written by a white guy. <laughs> yeah, it, was fun. it was a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, well, when you were opening for Sinbad, there was a, a, a reporter or something on one of the stops. And you were talking with him a little bit. And you had mentioned that you had started going to church. Right, yeah. And he picked up on that line yeah. and tagged you as a Christian comedian. Were you even a Christian at that time, or had you just started? Searching I, I, I tell you, Jerry, that I always wonder. I, I was going to church. I knew that I didn't want to go to hell. Um, I think I had a... I had a, a, a fear of hell conversion, you know, I just, you know, I don't want to go to hell, you know, but I don't, I honestly don't believe at that time I really loved God. I, I liked him, you know, I was like, Hey, thanks for the, you know, thanks for getting me off the hook. But at that time I was a Christian because I believe that God saved me because I, uh, at the level that I could understand, you know, it says, you know, we're, we're saved, we're being saved, we will be saved, that kind of, that sanctification. So I guess I would, had already been, I had already been justified, but I, I wasn't sanctified yet, if I can use that language here. And so what happened was, you know, I was going to church and everything and all that. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, <laughs> that was fun, you know, getting up there, <laughs> telling all those nightclub jokes to a bunch of elderly Southern Baptist people on a, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, well, you were fairly like clean, right? I mean, even even back then, you were fairly clean. Yeah, clean. But you know, I, Jerry, I tell you what was really interesting when I started doing Christian stand up. It wasn't a thing. There was like Mike Warnke and Ken Davis. That was it. Yeah. And I was the only one of the trio who was a comic out of clubs. Like Ken was a speaker, and Mike was a storyteller, and had all that. But I was the only one who had came who had come through the ranks of the nightclubs. So my cadence was different. Like now in churches, I tell more stories than I do stand-up. Like in stand-up, in the clubs, you don't tell a lot of stories. You, you fit them in, but you're usually just kind of like premise, punch, premise, punch. You're trying to figure, figure out how to navigate through and then try to weave something together so that at the end of the night, your show had some congruency to it. And people are like, oh, man, that was fun, you know. And so when I would do certain material, like even to this day, 
the material that I could not do back in the early eighties, I do now and nobody bats an eye in the church <laughs> because back then I would talk about relationship. I would talk about day and honestly, you know, like honest stuff. One of my favorite bits and I've been doing this joke since the night I've had this joke. People ask me, what's your favorite joke? And I go, I'll tell you my favorite joke. And I've had it since I was in nightclubs and it's in the drive bar comedy special. I talk about all the differences between being a bachelor and then getting married and blah, blah, blah and all that stuff. And, you know, just kind of like the, the stuff that's kind of common to everybody and everybody's like, ha ha, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it doesn't get, you know, like a lot of huge laughs, but it gets a lot of acknowledgement and a lot of like affirmation. Like, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And so then I, I do this one line where I say, and you know, and my wife brought all this stuff in and I list all the different things that I thought were unnecessary. And I said, and she bought a toilet brush. And then the audience kind of like stops and looks at me and I go, I had never owned a toilet brush in my life. And then the audience starts to titter and I go, and to this day, I still prefer toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> and the audience loses it. Now, go back to 1980s. It was crucify him. We want Barabbas. Okay. <laughs> back then you couldn't do that. But now it's like, and I think the church has evolved quite a bit. I think, Sometimes the church, I'm a, I get a little, I, I wince a little bit. Sometimes I cringe a little. Maybe I, uh, I don't think I'm a prude, but maybe I'm a little more conservative than uh, people think a comic should be. But there are times when some people do stuff in church, and I just cringe. I'm like, ooh, I, oh, that that makes me uncomfortable. It's not that it's sacrilegious or anything. It's just that when you do something that like, there's certain parts of intimacy between a man and a woman. I don't think you should talk about in a publicly like that it's one thing you say it to a room full of guys. like if, if if a lady speaking to a group of ladies mm -hmm. that's cool if a guy speaking to a group of guys that's cool but man when you oh, you stand there and you say it to both it's like ooh, you know i just kind of go oh no don't you know that makes me so nervous so but well, um, and has, has your perspective changed a little bit too spending so many years actually on staff at a church do you think maybe that's given you a wider perspective being on both sides of it now uh, man, that is such a great question. And the answer is absolutely. I, wow, man, this, uh, this kind of a painful admission that I had to come to was that when I would come to the church as a comic, I didn't have a servant's heart. I came in to show off. I'm gonna, Hey, I'm gonna make you laugh. And, and I'm going to be the funniest guy in the room and all that stuff. And I found that 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 doesn't give you a lot of longevity. Now I'm, I'm very grateful that I, I, I learned this pretty quickly, but I, I honestly, man, I wasn't serving the church. And when I went on staff and I saw what guest speakers or guest artists, and it wasn't about having a bad attitude. That, that, you know, some people just have a bad day. I, I always tried to be like on my best behavior, no matter how bad my day was, I'm not going to take it out on anybody else. I'm not talking about that because I, I know artists that have a reputation for, you know, blowing people up and everything. And, and I get that. But what the thing for me was, did I add any value to what this church's mission is all about? Or did I just show off for an hour and a half? And honestly, it, it changed everything about the way I approach it. Like when I go in, I go in early, do sound check, sit down, meet the staff, tell me about your church, what's going on? Is there any, anything happened recently that I should be aware of that, it's, that I don't talk about or things like that? And, and really ask them, what can I do to serve you? 
because on a church staff, I realized, man, there are times when after a guest or after a, an artist, you, you had to do some cleaning up. And I was like, Lord, I, I hope nobody ever has to clean up after me. And so that really changed me. And it's interesting that that's what it took. It took being on staff and seeing what it was like to be on the other side. And my technical writer's called the easy writer and um, <laughs> make jokes. All, and I say, look, this is really all I need. I don't need anything else, but this is what I need. And if you can make this happen, we're going to have a great night. And so, yeah, I, um, I, and I was mentored by some people that taught me to serve, you know, I mean, I really, I mean, even on stage just to serve and not be, not, not take from the audience, but give as best you can. So yeah, that's a great question. I, 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 nobody's ever asked me that. We told you you'd laugh. Mm-hmm. And, and there's some good stuff in there. Steve has done quite a lot, and we're going to continue the conversation with him coming up and catch up a little bit more about some of the things he's been doing with that couple's night out. Yeah. And and uh, uh, I guess, is it a personality kind of test or personality yeah. thing <laughs> that, that uses... He uses characters from a beloved Yeah, forget about these, the, the Enneagrams yeah, or whatever yeah, they yeah. call it. You yeah. know, this, this to me, I, I, I'm excited to take this test, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Should we even? I, yeah, I don't go even, ahead. Say, it's you called, love the line. It's called Who the Poo Are You? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I can't wait this, to yes. read this. But right. Anyway, uh, he'll talk more about that coming up. Now, we've also got something coming up. If you are listening to this on release day, this is coming up in one week. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, If you're listening to this after May 28th, well, um, you can still give to your local food bank, and we want to encourage that. But we, as the Joy FM Network, are gathering our resources and partnering up with food banks across the Southeast, and we've got something coming up big called Joy Drop and restock and uh, we want to encourage you to bring out especially non-perishables yeah yes those those are great for food banks absolutely yeah and we're going to be in several cities uh, across georgia i know that we have a lot of listeners uh, in the state of georgia and we want to make sure that you know that we'll be in columbus in Macon, in Noonan, Marietta, and in Athens. So you and didn't you, do it alphabetically. It's listed alphabetically. I was, I I was wanting to see if you could pull off alphabetically. <laughs> the fact that he remembered all five, yeah. and I, you got the credit right there. I just had a picture of the state in my head, and I was going through all the cities. But yeah, we're going to be at uh, all of those cities and the locations specifically, and the food banks, and lots of info. You're going to find that on our website. We'll link you up in the show notes. Yeah. And we're doing it very um, social distancing, consciously. Don't throw the stuff at it. (laughs) Please don't. But you don't have to get out of your car, basically, is what it is. And and you just bring the stuff to the local food banks because, let's face it, a lot of people are really having a difficult time with COVID-19, even if they're not sick, because so many businesses have been closed, people have been furloughed or laid off or had their pay cuts paychecks cut mm-hmm. so that they need to rely on the food banks and the food banks are running into shortages so that's why we're doing this yes so it's a drive through setup you just come and drop your food off and then we'll give you a joy fm window decal and a pen on your way out and say thank you through our face masks 
But it's more, <laughs> yeah, that's right. But more importantly, what you're doing and, and spreading joy to, to people that really need it and doing it through the food bank. So if, again, you're listening to this before May 28th, we've got all the details at thejoyfm.com. But even if you're listening after this point, it's, it's important to go help out yeah. all of our ministries that are doing God's work and serving those in need. So if you can, get some extra groceries and, and drop them off at your local food banks and help those in need during this this very difficult time. When Paula Maxwell was faced with an unplanned pregnancy, she decided to place her child with an adopted family through the help of Covenant Care Services. She now works there. On the latest Jewel Show podcast, she sits down with me to share how a crisis situation turned out to be a wonderful blessing. But I can say I have found myself in a situation that wasn't the perfect situation. Covenant Care was able to help me through that situation, and I would love to be able to help you through it as well. To hear more, go to thejoyfm.com slash jewels or anywhere you get your podcast from. Where did the heart come from for starting the couple's night out? It was kind of like a, a the perfect storm of things that were going on. When Kathy and I got married, we eloped, which is funny. We've been married 31 years. And the collection of friends that we were around always kind of like looked sideways at us, you know, like, oh, you know, they're not going to last and everything. And they knew me too. I was such a flake back then. Our first friends in Nashville, I can only, of, of all the couples from our first friends, not as we grew and, and, and started getting more friends the longer we were in Nashville, but that first kind of collection of friends, Kathy and I are the only ones who are still married. Wow. And they had the big weddings and all the stuff and all that. Kathy, you know, we and I, we eloped. And so I saw that Kathy's from a broken home. I'm from a broken home. There was a, a thing that my manager at the time had created was he had created Girls Night Out, which was a thing that started, it started in Canada and then it came down to the U.S., and they wanted to do a guy's night out. And they flew me up to Toronto to do some uh, consulting. And I said, it's not going to work. And they were like, what do you mean? I said, it's not going to work. I said, you know, you, you have promise keepers. And that was kind of an enigma. But guys aren't going to come hang out. They're not going to do it. Um, and when guys hang out, it's called tailgating. They eat food and then they go to a game. That's what guys do. So they said, well, what do you recommend? I said, well, why don't you leverage your database of girls' night out and do couples' night out and invite the, have the ladies bring their husbands. And so they were like, yeah. So we, we actually test marketed it in the Maritimes. It's like way out in the middle of nowhere, off to the Eastern shore there. So that if it bombed, nobody knew. And, uh, <laughs> the first night, man, it was wing ding and monkey swinging because I do, I do comedy, kind of get a little serious at the end of the first set. And then we do an intermission. We always advocate for an NGO in the second half, it's comedy, and then I do a section of my new book called Who the Poo Are You? And we close the night out and everything. And at the end of the night, man, it was like there were couples crying and hugging each other. And, and long story short, there was a couple that had shown up in different cars. Their small group wanted them to come, so they showed up in separate cars. And at the end of the night, the pastor said, hey, can you come over here for a second? I said, sure. So I walked over, and there was this, like a this huddle of people and right in the center there was this couple and they were just heads down there crying. And I said, what's going on? Are they okay? And he said, yeah, they, they showed up in separate cars. They're, they're separated. They were going, they were headed to, for a divorce. And so they came tonight in separate cars. They sat about three feet apart, but by the end of the night, their arms were around each other and they wanted to rededicate themselves to each other. And they asked if you would come be a part of it. Wow. Wow. Right. So back then the show, you know, we had an opening act, we had full production and everything. 
my, uh, we sent, you know, the, the tour manager went to bed, opening act went to bed, but I sat in the, the lobby of the hotel with my manager until like two o'clock in the morning and said, this is not, this is not what I thought this was going to look like. And so we, we did it. And so we've been doing it now for gosh, over 10 years. It's, it's amazing how comedy and honesty, cause I'm really honest about how much work marriage is. It's a lot of work. You know, it's that thing about it really isn't in the, in the Christian marriage, especially it's not about compatibility. It's about your commitment. I made a commitment. And if committing, keeping my commitment means that I have to work on myself instead of complaining about you, then so be it. So the show just took off and I'm, I'm still doing that show. It's amazing. People are like, when can you come back? And I'm like, <laughs> well, I, I have to write a new show, you know, like, Oh no, do the same one. <laughs> I just find it pretty funny that a Florida guy is doing most of his shows in the coldest part of North America in Canada. <laughs> well, yeah, I tell you, Rob, what the reason, part of the reason was when I came off the road in 1998, the end of 98 to go on staff at Belmont, the one place I never stopped touring was Canada. I, hmm. I stopped touring in the U S I mean, almost like, overnight it was like i had you know i finished out a couple of things i had to do and i really just focused on being a pastor to these to these uh, high school kids and then when oh gosh what was it was it 2008 i think it was 2008 was when we did the first uh, couples night out and gosh 12 years ago now so for whatever reason though it just it, it just worked and it was something that Somebody who, who, who's known me a long time saw me at one of the shows and they came to, I hadn't seen them in years and they were in the industry. They said, I want to compliment you, but it's not going to sound like a compliment. <laughs> I said, okay. And they said, you have grown so much. You are totally different. And I mean, this is a compliment. And I said, no, thank you. I appreciate that. I, I, I want to grow. I want to become better, not a better comic. That's a given. I want to be better at being who I'm supposed to be. And they said, well, when you were doing stand-up, you would endure ministry so that you could do stand-up. He said, watching you now, it's like you endure comedy just to do ministry. Mm. And I said, you are exactly right. Wow. I could not have put it any better. What happened was over time, through being a pastor, getting in people's lives, seeing what's really going on, being tenderized by that and then realizing that every couple that comes to that show has gotten into a fight. Every couple has had a fight. Every couple has probably had a moment where it's like, I don't think I want to be around you anymore. And it just might be that there are couples that had a fight on the way to the show mm -hmm. and okay, so here we are. What are we going to do? So it's a, it's a very, it's a fun show. It's, it's, it's really a lot of fun. It, it, it's the most enjoyable thing in all my years of entertainment it's the one that's most enjoyable for me but it also is the most draining like after a tour i'm i'm exhausted i mean i'm absolutely yeah yeah i'm just yeah. exhausted because i think kind of the, this because of the spiritual aspect of it and what it takes out of me but uh yeah i, I love it we're starting to do these who the poo are you shows and that's fun but yeah, tell uh, us yeah. a little bit about that steve yeah who the poo are you <laughs> Sorry. It's P O H, right? P O H, like yeah. Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> um, it started out years ago when I was at Belmont, 
in Nashville, I, was, I used to have to take students on, on missions trips and I wanted to use personality profiles to help them understand who each other was, who they were. And because, you know, on a missions trip, when you interact, it, it, the pressure of being in a, in a new country, in a developing country, the pressure of trying to perform, not being in your own bed and, and just immaturity on these kids, they could clash really quickly. And even the, the grownups, the, the adult sponsors could clash very quickly. So I wanted to do these personality profiles, but I, they didn't work. They were like, ah, you know, you know. So I, I thought I just wanted to make it more easy. And instead of using a letter or numbers or anything like that or colors or random animals, I thought, well, let me do something that's kind of cute that everybody can relate to. And so when you're at odds with another person, you're at odds with a cartoon character that is beloved from your childhood. So... I did it in a owl, rabbit, piglet, tigger, and um, I would do the test, and then everybody would take it. And then on their name tag, they would have their name, and then their nickname. Everybody got a nickname, and then their animal. So they either had an owl, whatever. And what happened was is that it helped everybody that on business trips going forward, they would go, "Oh, I'm sorry, that's my owl coming out." And it was like to everybody on the team, "Okay, yeah, we we get it. Here's your grace," or you know, somebody would come up to somebody and say, hey, man, your rabbit's showing. Like, oh, okay, thanks, you know. So I did that, and it was fun. And then I started doing it for older trips. And then I started I started using a premarital counseling. I thought, this might be fun for a premarital counseling. Well, the couples absolutely loved it. And what I found was that the language was picked up immediately. They don't have to remember now which one's which. They immediately know from their childhood to equate which personality is which mm -hmm. character. So then... <laughs> on the couples night out tour, my manager said, Hey, why don't you do like a, a brief overview of who the poor are you? I said, are you kidding? He said, no, seriously do it. So I did it and people loved it. So it went from being like 15 minutes in the night to now it's a 45 minute section in the night. Oh, and I was in Winnipeg one, one night and this elderly gentleman came up to me and he said, um, have you written a book? And I said, yeah, I wrote Shameless. He goes, no, 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 have you written a book on what you talked about tonight? And I said, oh, no. I said, this is just for fun. He goes, you should write a book. And I said, well, I don't have the rights to the characters. This is just, I'm just talking about them. He said, no, son. He goes, you need to write a book. He said, and he handed me his card. And he was a, he was a government official with, with Canada, with, you know, nationally with Canada. He was the head of mental health of Canada. Wow. He said, son, I have never, he said, I've been around this kind of stuff my whole life because I've never heard anybody explain personalities the way you did. He said, a third grader could understand it. I said, exactly. That's the point is that so every, because it's about relationship. So I started working on it and kind of dinking around with it. And all of a sudden, September 1st, it'll be out, you know? So, and it's just something that I've been doing. I've been doing this thing for, gosh, I've been doing this thing for almost 20 years now. The live version is a lot of fun because I do a Q&A. It's for ages 10 and up, and I do a Q&A afterwards. It's so funny to watch the different personalities ask the question. Because in the second the person starts asking a question, I know what personality they are and what character they are. And uh, it, What's cute, too, is when the kids ask questions, like the parents will ask questions, and they will not divulge. They'll, like, use third-person kind of things. and They're talking to the person sitting next to them, but, you know, you're not supposed to know that. Kids are just, man. Kids are like, well, what if you're a Tigger and your 
dad's a rabbit. <laughs> you know, you look at dad and go, how you doing dad? And, you know, they just kind of wave like, hey, I'm here, you know, and so it's, it's a lot of fun. The thing about it is it's, it's real sticky. It, it, people get it immediately. Honestly, I thought it was kind of silly, but I have had enough people. And I mean, I can't tell you the amount of feedback that I've gotten from people who have said in, in similar fashion, I'm kind of, kind of, kind of molded into one, basically this, we've been to intensives. We've been to this, we've been to that, but this one silly little thing saved our marriage. And I hear that constantly. I mean, constantly. And just recently I was at a, you know, cause when you get ready to put a book out, it's kind of like, man, you're putting yourself out on the table. It's like, what do people hate it? And I was standing at the soundboard getting ready to go speak. And I was, I had actually just sit, been sitting there thinking, man, I, do I even want to release this thing? You know, cause I've really been struggling with my own feelings about it, you know, kind of feelings of, of, you know, is this going to be any good? And this lady walked up to me and she said, um, you're not going to remember me. And I said, okay. And I, she's right. And she said, but we were at your show in whatever city. And she said, I, I got to tell you, the reason that my husband are here tonight is because of you. And I want to thank you. You saved our marriage. And guys, I lose it. I mean, bah, and I just start crying. And the sound engineer's looking at me, you know, and, and the people, everybody's kind of looking at me. My road manager's looking at me and I have lost, I'm bawling. And I just put my hand on her, on her arm. And I said, I'm sorry. I said, whatever I did for you pales in comparison to what you just did for me. Thank you for encouraging me. So it's one of those books that it's just been, it's been a labor of love. It, um, it's, it's not rocket science, uh, but it's a lot of fun. And when people read, like people who are reading the drafts now are like going, oh my gosh, that's so true. But nobody's ever put it that way. So anyway, so it'll be out September 1st. That was so good to get to spend some time with Steve. Every time I see him, it's you always, I don't know what it is about these, I guess because they're comedians, they're just funny people. Mm-hmm. You wind up having some laughs, but with a, a, a man like Steve who has had such a wide range of experience, ministry experience, you always come away feeling inspired and maybe even learning a little bit more about who you are in the kingdom of heaven. Right. And I think and we're going to have to, continue this we'll have another episode with steve coming up because we we covered so much ground but in this particular episode i think one of the key things that steve talked about was servanthood and and serving and not always being the guy that's up in the front of the room and, and when you deal with people like we do a lot showbiz people artists performers there are even in christian circles there are people whose egos drive them perhaps a little bit more even than the desire to do ministry. And I think Steve would tell you that there was a time when when that was probably true for him. He, he recounted that one instance where, a, where somebody who had seen him doing, I think that one of the couple's nights out, said, mm-hmm. you know, it used to be, Steve, I got the feeling from you that you endured ministry so you could do comedy. Right, yeah. Now it's almost like you endure comedy so you can do ministry. I love that. Yeah. And, and he talked about how his experience serving uh, on the church staff for over 10 years, first in Nashville and then in Fayetteville, helped him have a perspective of 
seeing what it's like when somebody comes in, a big name comes in, a, a musician or a comedian or a speaker mm-hmm. comes in. And a lot of these guys, let's face it, and, and, and women have big names and big followings. And they're, for all practical purposes, they're famous. And sometimes that can go to your head because you got a lot of people around you trying to get you booked and trying to tell you how good you are and how great you're doing. And, oh, that latest book was tremendous. That latest record was great. You had a great concert or you did a, a great movie. You're great, you're great, you're great, you're great. And sooner or later, you start believing it. And, and Steve said, I saw that from the other side when I was on staff. And the mess is sometimes you have to clean up when those people come through. And he said, Lord, I don't want to make a mess for anybody to have to clean up. And he talked about serving, even serving from the stage. And when he comes in now and does a show or does does a, a marriage event at a church, he wants to find out from the staff and the people at the church, what what's going on here in your church? Are there things that I shouldn't address because it's, it's a, a sensitive subject for, for the people in your congregation? Are there things that I should be addressing? And worrying more about the people that he is serving and actually looking at it as service and even you don't have to be a star. You don't have to be yeah. in the public eye for that to be a problem. How many of us do that? The disciples did that. These are guys that walked physically with Jesus in his presence daily, in his physical presence daily for three years. And at the Last Supper, and I don't know if they realized that this was the Last Supper, but at the Last Supper, Luke's gospel tells us that they were sitting around at the table talking about who was the greatest among them. Right. <laughs> Not real. This is the last time they're going to eat with Jesus yeah. in person. And they're worried about, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit smarter on this or I'm better on that. And, and Jesus looked at them and said, you got to be, he who, is, who wants to be first has to be least, mm. has to be lesser. And John's recounting of the last supper jesus gets up and washes the disciples feet Mm. and then he says after he has done that do you know what i've done to you you call me teacher and lord and you're right for so i am if i then the lord and the teacher washed your feet you also ought to wash one another's feet for I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Mm. I, I just, that has always humbled me that the one who created us, and the Bible says that through Jesus everything was created and everything was created for him. Mm. Yet he came to serve us so that we could be reunited with him and that we could be reunited with one another. We could call each other brother and sister. And because of that relationship that we have with Jesus, our relationship with every other person on the planet has to be impacted. Yeah. And we've got to have that heart of a servant. And I think Steve talked about that. And, and just knowing Steve the way that we do, I think he embodies that. Now, nobody's perfect. And he doesn't always do it, but he's aware of that. He's conscious of that. And I think that as we go through life, especially at this time when so many things are, are going on with COVID-19 and you tend to get a little impatient, I catch myself doing that sometimes. Or, you know what? Be a servant. Yeah. Just as Jesus served us 
as an example so that we would serve one another. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I certainly enjoyed getting to know Steve for the first time myself. Yeah. And uh, I, I say that we get to know him even better yes, in another right. round <laughs> of the Finding Joy podcast on the next edition. We we can finally tell you what's coming up on the next yes, <laughs> episode <laughs> <laughs> because we're going to continue our conversation with him. And this gives us the perfect opportunity to tell you, you should subscribe yeah. to the Finding Joy podcast if you don't already, because if you subscribe, it's going to automatically show up in your feed, right? Right. Sure. Absolutely. So do that. Uh, you could do it through Apple, Google Play, anywhere that you find find podcast stitcher you can also just go to our website thejoyfm.com click on the finding joy podcast and we'll have all of that information there yeah and uh while you are at one of the formats that'll let you give us a star rating give us five stars yeah, yeah. please. and if you can give us a review give us a good review <laughs> and uh, if you want to get in touch with us directly you can send us an email finding joy podcast at the joyfm.com and we're on all the social media platforms instagram facebook youtube and we got links for all that on what are we our doing website. the tiktok <laughs> hey, i don't know although i tell you we did zoom with steve yeah. which means there's video and i've got some ideas on some bonus material okay. that may incorporate video because like we said this is it was a long conversation we're getting two episodes of the podcast and i don't think even all of it's going to make that so there'll be some stuff left over and, and i've got a couple ideas for featuring some of the stuff that rob did during this podcast Uh-oh. for bonus material so just keep checking the website and, and, and check the youtube channel too well our next episode is coming out on june 4th so that's hard to believe it's june i know i know, I know. are we still in march no. yeah. <laughs> so hopefully you'll be back with us here the rest of the story with steve geyer and find joy as we are seeking to highlight that wherever we happen to find it. Thank you so much for allowing us to be part of your day today. For Benji and Rob, I'm Jerry. Thanks for listening to the Finding Joy podcast. <laughs>